0: Because you mentioned three okay, so, prominent factors to yeah. the demise, essentially.
1: Okay, so um, so I'd say um, number one, what, yeah, uh, 1999, end of 1999, we moved into that office and started putting together some basic tunes and started dropping them during our DJ sets. Yeah. Uh, uh, February 2001, we get the Stuyvesant ad and we got a bit of cash to roll with. Eh? April 2001, we drop Acid Do It. Eh? Immediately, we start looking for other tunes. Eh? There aren't really any available. We come across Mood Phase 5 and Felix. Eh? We spend most of the second half of, uh, of um, 2000 working on this Mood Phase 5 album, getting it up to scratch to release. Eh? Quite a process. Eh? And then um, uh, most, I think we dropped those two. It was April 2000, and then we dropped December 2000. We dropped Mood Phase 5, and then April, February or March, March the 18th, 2001, we dropped uh, Felix LeBan. So we'd kind of been working that, that whole period. In between all of that, what had happened was this fucking amazing thing. It was um, We were at Rustler's Valley playing at the New Year's Festival at Rustler's. Eh? Fletcher and Inca sat together and we went, okay, reality engineering time again. What do we do next? What do we want next? Eh? looked at each other and almost at the same moment said, um, let's go traveling. We need to kind of, okay, we've got, kind of got this country waxed. It can roll now, eh? but um, let's get out. That's why we did this, eh? to kind of get out. Eh? Strews fuck. Eh? come back and the first email waiting for me in my, in my inbox in Cat Town is from the Czech Republic. Eh? These very, very cool dudes. They're called Om Square, uh, Ohm Square, OHM Square. Basically, the equivalent of Crust and Sorted in Prague, but more successful. Eh? They've been around a few more years. Live electronic act. Um, they've, they've broken the scene, and now there's a fat scene happening there. And they've got backing with tobacco money. to you a know, fucking culture exchange. Eh? Do you, do we mind hosting them in Cape Town? Eh? Organise a gig or two for them. They've got money. they sorted with whatever. Organise them some weed, and then they'll reciprocate. They'll invite us back to fra- Prague. Hell yeah. Eh? And this opened this route into Prague. That that three weeks, first three weeks in Prague, we went there for these uh, concerts called Global Connection. He had stupid, stupid tobacco money to bring in uh, four times a year to bring in artists from two different cities, around, three different cities around the world to jam with the best of Prague. So ours was, I think, the fourth. Then you had Cape Town, Paris, London. No, Cape Town, Paris, New York. Yeah? So we had uh, Dimitri from Paris and Roger Sanchez, and I don't know, some big name, Junior Vasquez. Um, but, uh, and then Crushed and Sorted. From, uh, Crushed and Sorted and Mood Phase 5 from Cape Town. Eh? Mood Phase 5 didn't even have an album. Oh, they, the album had just been released when that happened. Eh? Just, just, just been released. April 2001, we head off to Prague for, uh, and then from Prague, we managed to organize. We had two weeks within gigs. We all managed to organize through them. A week of gigs in the Netherlands and Belgium. And uh, Fletcher and I had already been to to, uh, Pickle Pop. We played at Pickle Pop the year before. What a trip. Uh, All of a sudden, we ended up in Europe on this mad kind of tour that opened all kinds of things. Those tours kept on happening for a couple of years until the tobacco money dried up. And round about the same time, Felix set off the fire alarm. In a hotel in Prague at five o'clock in the morning, causing the evacuation of the whole thing and all the, art, if I remember correctly, all the artists' money um, being used to pay the bill for all of that and gigs to Prague promptly dried up afterwards. There was an urban legend that the that the the promoter's wife, promoter's wife. They've been begging him for ten years to be, to bring Carl Craig, yeah? and when he eventually came, she eloped with him, <laughs> <laughs> and that's why the whole thing had fucked up. But I'm I'm not sure. Yeah? One of those funny stories from the past. Yeah? That was a trip, Prague, yeah? yeah, Eastern Europe, and um, so we always had the, we we always had those arts, and they were growing. Um, fuck, what was the point? Yeah? The point is uh Nature. Uh, okay, so we, we, we dropped those two albums in, um, in in 2001, and now African Dope was a thing. It was happening, but we also had costs and expenses. Huh? We had like three, four, five people working there, all earning very little money. Huh? But we had um, ISDN, and Fletcher was downloading, I don't know, a thousand rands worth of tunes a day sometimes. Um, and. Uh, this thing was rolling, and um, we needed to, as is the nature of small business, eh, which is maybe number two. Number two reason for the downfall is something that um, with just another statistic. Eh, what I can tell you from years of experience with many small businesses is that the single thing that catches small businesses is not having the capacity to deal with your growth. What I mean by that is uh, Fletcher and I, between us, have got 10, 12 hours in the day because you were doing what we loved. Eh? Even that, eh, once the label started rolling and there was all kinds of business to be done and communications to be done and studio work to be done and a whole bunch of stuff, it becomes a case of those 12 hours in a day aren't enough. Eh? And even even once you start structuring it over time going forward, it's still not enough. So you need to bring in more hands. Eh? But those four hands have a, a cost eh, attached to salary and all kinds of other stuff that you bring in that pair of hands. But you now need to raise your output to above. That cost, eh? And you're not there at the point that you need the new hands. You, you're not at the point that you, you're bringing in enough money to pay for them. Eh? So we got caught in that cycle of constantly growing, needing more resources than we had the money on hand to, um, to gain. The, the, our first attempted at investment we had from our, our landlord. We were already in for a couple of months' rent, and he agreed to lend us some money. We threw, tried to throw a huge gig, eh, and we lost, I think, I think he gave us 150 grand and we'd lost 90 of it by the end Oof. of the weekend. You know? So that kind of put paid and ended up having to pay him off at like interest rates that Wongo would be ashamed of you know? for years and years afterwards. And he still considers himself this dude. You know? I hope he reads this. You know? He still considers himself a patron you know? and somebody we should be fucking thanking. You know? I think he took 70 grand from us in interest payments for being late for that fucking failed thing. You know? okay. Bankers, what can you do? What do you call a boat full of bankers at the bottom of the ocean? A good start. eh? (laughs) (laughs) um, The the point is this. As things started rolling, we took on more and more people and started doing more and more ambitious stuff. And um, it got to the point that at the end of 2002, yeah, I was supposed to have quite a big story lined up. Eh? I was supposed to, African Dope was cooking at this point. Eh? We had ads rolling in. We had money <coughs> turning over, I don't know, money, 60, 70,000 rands a month coming in and being disappearing into paying for all kinds of stuff, eh? artist related mostly, we went tours and straight back into albums. Uh, Fletcher and I took basic salaries and never took any royalties or any mixing and mastering money. Nothing of all years, huh? even where it was owed mm. um, This thing kept running and, and the, the bigger it grew, the more kind of militant the artists had become. I don't know why in, in hindsight I'm try. I've tried hard I've thought about this a lot since you've um, and and in asking me to do these interviews you've stirred a lot of things which I must thank you for eh? <laughs> like um, some of them not so lacquer but those are always cool because then you get to they're, they're latent and you get to deal with them it's like shadow get coming to the surface I don't mind that shit and um, I, th- I think the bigger it got, the more important African dope became, especially after we won our Sama Award, eh? which is also a big turning point to the negative, I would say. Eh? I, would, I would say all things considered, at the time... We needed to, we'd we'd outgrown the little distribution that Leighton at Loophole had had provided for us. Manfully, he worked manfully, but he just couldn't cope. He was also DJing and it wasn't really bringing in enough money and Musica and the big boys wouldn't talk to him at the end of the day. So we started fishing for distribution. We ended up at the Majors with a very cool dude called Paul Thackeray. He's my mate. (coughs) And uh, Paul said, look, we... um, at that time, Sony had just changed. They'd just taken on Lazarus Sorobi, first black CEO of a major anywhere in the world. And there were some very fresh and interesting ideas going down. And Lazzy came to see us and sat in our office. And we liked what he had to say. And what he had to say was basically, look, we can't take on distribution for your stuff because there's no ways we can essentially convince our sales staff with the small budgets that you're going to be able to provide us. So what we were looking for is, we own our product, and you distribute it. We'll manufacture it all the rest. We just need to get it into stores. Eh? Which means for the majors, they don't own it. All they get is a commission on the sale. It's called a P&D deal, eh? P and D deal. P and percent D deal. It's something you do when you'd, you'd rather the market share of something big that you don't own comes to you. It's not something you give to kippy labels. Eh? So um, we can't do distribution because we're going to end up minim- marginalizing you. But what we can do is we can license a compilation of your biggest stuff. We can call that African Dope Volume One. We can get you onto radio. We can get that into stores. You might even win a Sama Award. Eh? And once the hype is made, then we can start looking at artists' albums of the, the platform is created. Eh? And that's sound thinking. I still think so all these years later. However, eh, what happened was um, they were true to their word. They, they, they cherry picked um, the, the best of what we had available. Of, of the next stuff which we had coming, which is remixes of Mood Phase 5. Because now, the, you know, things, um, one thing leads to another. So where we started in 2000, yeah, the tunes weren't good enough. Once there were three albums out of the quality, four albums out, because uh, War came a couple of months after that. Yeah. By the middle of 2001, There were four examples of what South African electronic music could sound like and should sound like on the market, and um, the population had responded rather positively to them. Eh? All around, even where radio stations were telling us we can't play this, this, they were saying I'm using it on my weather report because I love this Felix song and um, fuck, thank you. Getting thank yous back. Thank you for uh, sorting this out for us. Eh? Like, um, for bringing a different flavor, for giving us something fresh. It was um, a really nice vibe. Eh? From the media, kind of, in the early days. Eh? And then we did this album and we won a song award and um, focus kind of changed, like the, the, they were demanding. There was a demand for more stuff for us. And what we had lined up was an album of um, Mood Phase 5 remixes, most of which were dance floor remixes. The, the, the two commercial, in inverted commas songs, commercially accessible songs, eh, to what was a very limited playlist format on radio. Eh? They'd already played, eh? they'd already played Praha Paradise from Ernie, they'd already played the, the three chilled R&B-ish kind of ones, eh? and ignored the the rougher ones. What we had left was real African dope. If you've cherry-picked the two like um, most commercially accessible tunes on the album, the rest of it is what the artist wants to say, eh? and what we want to drop. Eh? The motive behind what we released was basically always, is this fat enough for us to drop? Is this dope enough for us to drop? Me, Roach, and Fletcher, will we drop this? eh? Would we put this on at home? Would we put this on in a chill room? Would we we drop this? And if not, we said no to various tunes. Because the beginning of the unraveling of the relationship with Felix actually Fletcher says no to a couple of tunes which uh, to my mind today I actually listened to them not so long ago I was clearing out some archives and I came across them and thought you know that was the right move because they they weren't of the same quality and they were nudely nudely experimental little things that would have detracted from those albums we kind of stood our ground with them and they went off and Felix wasn't happy and after that <sighs> He came to, as, as he expressed it to me, he didn't want to be on African Dope because he didn't feel that the label was going in the same direction as him. Yeah? He felt that we should be doing, especially after we dropped African Dope sound system, at that point he was adamant. Yeah? Like, look, you dudes should be, should be doing dub and drum and bass and that kind of stuff. And I'm doing... I'm going another direction I'm going and we're going but Felix it's not it's not about never has been about genre look at the kind of spread eh? all right you're on the one side of it but real estate agents are further uh, to that side from you eh? this is it's not about genre it's about quality electronic music and you fall into that and he wasn't really having any any of it he kind of had his mindset set. Mindset on leaving, and when he left, he went originally before he ended on Compost, He released that album, Dark Days Exit, on a tiny, tiny little label of his mate, Ross Campbell, hey, Open Records. Hey? He put out some. Um, uh, Ross is into, uh, I don't know what you call it, hey? In really intelligent um, art acoustic music. Hey? I don't know if that's a fair description. I hope Ross doesn't read this and think worse of me for saying it, but. Um, uh Benguela and things like that, eh like um music to go and watch live ac- acoustic dudes pushing the limits eh kind of music eh? felix he thought um he felt that that was a better fit stylistically eh? than African dope, never mind any other beef of uh i don't know i st- maybe he feels differently today, I'd stand corrected, but that was my feeling at the at the time, and as he expressed it to us eh? his his main his main beef with not wanting to be on the label was stylistic. Eh? He felt he, he didn't fit. He ended up, of course, on Compost to make Acid Jazz. Eh? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> do they have anything even remotely similar to Felix LeBand? I'm not sure. Eh? But um, Michael Ryan, but knows nice quality, no doubt about that. Eh? Um, um, and then what happened was we needed something big. Uh, so so Sony, um, Sony dropped African Dog Volume 1, and they, uh, they, the, the, the industry started looking to us for pop, eh? and we gave them underground. And it's almost like the whole media went, well, fuck you then. Eh? And um, I, in some cases, I remember, it was a little bit later on, but I remember the music dude at um, Good Hope FM, Gerard somebody, I think his name was, eh? telling me, we. I, I gave him African Dope Sound, sound System JJ push-up to listen to a bright poppy or tune, maybe not radio, What you're gonna? He, f- he flipped through it, he flipped through a couple of tunes and he threw the CD back to me and said, don't you ever bring me this conscious shit here ever again. Eh? Yeah. You know what we're about. Bikinis, beaches, good times, sexy. Don't yeah. bring me this conscious fucking make me think shit ever again. Eh? Word for word. Eh? He tuned me. And we started getting, I mean, Super Evil Me was a huge hit, but literally Sixty radio stations I think it was sixty-four radio stations in a row told us not our format. Yeah? Not our format. The guy at UCT Radio, yeah, commanded what, well, three and a half thousand listeners, told me in the end eventually after I dissed them in a in a I sent a newsletter out dissing all of this publicly and generated quite a quite a and the and the dude emailed me back and kind of um he said, Look, um the reason I did it was because um you know, 70, 80% of our music comes from the majors, and all the music the majors give us gives us is in strictly defined formats. You know, this is like, bear in mind, this is also X many years ago. Yeah? Might not, may or may not be the same today. I don't know. Um, it's sort of like um, white adult contemporary, black adult contemporary, white dance, black dance, white pop black pop, eh? and your stuff doesn't really fit into any of those categories. So it's really dangerous for us to start playing it, because all of, our, all of our music is playlisted according to those formats, because that's how the music comes. If we start playing music that's in a different format, eh? and people like it, eh? that's a big problem, because now we've got to start formatting for it, um, the majors are going to get upset with us, and where are we going to get more? <laughs> <Is it? laughs> so, <coughs> That's kind of the problem. I was actually seriously, seriously depressed about this. it was one of the, there's a, a very sweet girl called Zamo. She was my friend until we had a few, um, she worked for me and we had an employment issue and she ended up going to the labor court. We phoned and reprimanded me, eh? and um, I don't know, it's long since forgotten from my my side. But uh, anyway, and um, someone was working on radio and she was depressed. And when she told me 64 radio stations, I was sitting there, we were both of us sitting there, shaking our heads. And literally, one of my favorite moments you can put this in your there was that section later on. The phone rings as we're sitting there, depressed, and it's some cat he's phoning this crackly line. And I managed to make out that he's from. The rural trans guy, yeah, Somebody, somewhere outside Siki. I've unfortunately forgotten the name of the radio station, but he's from a little community radio station. And a mate of his who, who goes to UCT has just come back on holiday, and they've hung out. And the dude's been playing him African dope. Please, 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 can we send him the real estate agents to drop on this little rural radio station to play in the hills and valleys of the rural trans guy? Yeah? Ah, what a beautiful moment. <laughs>
0: uh-huh.
1: ah, anyway, all right, what else do you want to know? Oh, how, did, how did it start falling apart? Huh? We set up this um very big, uh, so um, the, the media dissed us and the distribution with Sony, they did distribute, they pressed and distributed a couple of things for us and very quickly we owed them 70,000 rands and as promised, the sales staff had marginalized our stuff to the bottom corner. And they let us go and let us off our deal because we'd won a Sama and done okay with the licensing. And we'd done a couple of sync deals, which ended, we'd done, which ended up meaning we paid them more than they paid us in the end. But all of that's besides the point. Um, uh, we had no distribution. We came across a company called Bowline. Yeah? Very, very, very cool people there. Peter Tennyson his daughter, Lindy. They don't own it anymore. But at that time, he blew a fortune on the music industry, Mr. Turnison, yeah? Um groovy people and uh, we connected with them and they offered us a proper distribution deal and they offered us an opportunity because they had the ear of the stores if we could build a proper campaign yeah, if we could build um, like three or four albums over season with guaranteed advertising and a tour and some radio support and that kind of thing if we could get build that they knew that they had enough support there was enough support for African dope within the corporate structure that if we presented them a sure seller, they would take it, and we could make a serious splash over the summer. And they reckoned we could sell 100,000 CDs over the summer. We could press plenty, plenty, plenty. We could just elevate this thing onto another level entirely. And we were fucking around here with very low sales, and the advertising revenue wasn't. I and mean, The most we ever sold of anything at African Dope was 5,000 units. Eh? So it was never about the sales. It was always about the licensing and so on. Eh? But the flow of albums had stemmed. These artists were having issues about releasing their new stuff. Mood Phase 5 hadn't delivered their second album. Felix didn't want to deliver a third album. Warwicks had delivered his second and was busy. There were no other artists around. Um, We'd done Cape A Good Dog Volume 1. The, the, like, the timing wasn't right. And we didn't have enough releases to to, to, to generate enough money. But I had four big releases coming up. I had, well, Cape Good Dog Volume 1 hadn't been released yet, eh? So I had Cape A Go Good Dog Volume 1 introducing the next generation, yeah? I had a Mood Phase 5 second album, and I had my big one. Max Normal had broken up and <coughs> come down to Cape Town, and here was Wadi, yeah? And Cybot, and Marcus Wormstorm, and Felix, and Fletcher working on something. We had Constructors Corporation. It was going to be the mega album. It was going to be the Gorillas. Yeah? Of South African music, that was kind of the except gorillas would be um, I don't know uh, demeaning to the concept that we we had planned there Wadi and them, huh? and so I went and set up this amazing huge deal with uh, with Bowline for the end of the year se- end of the year because half a million rand which we didn't have of which three hundred and fifty thousand ended up being the cost of the construction book, and as this yeah. thing was dropping Cape Good Dope Volume One dropped perfectly the first one the Godessa social ills dropped perfectly it wasn't meant to sell it was meant to go to radio and boost the album and it did eh? the album went to 5,000 um, units within two weeks which was expected eh? like or, or but then the mood phase 5 album never came eh? They decided that they weren't happy to release the album that we paid for them to make, and they were going to start making it themselves, so and they owned the master entirely. Yeah? And they weren't even sure they were going to give it to us, even though the contract said that's what sort it. Of, and there were all kinds of other issues. It pains me to even think about them. The Mood Phase 5 album didn't arrive. Yeah? And then the Constructors album arrived. Uh, 300,000 Rand over budget. Yeah? Um, deliberately produced by these dudes to sound shit. They deliberately produced it to sound lo-fi and shit. That was, ask them now. They deliberately produced it to sound shit. And um, they deliberately made it so that it was as un-pop as anything could possibly be. And then the band broke up on or around the launch party over girl issues or some other artist-ego-related nonsense. and at the launch party itself they were telling the crowd not to buy it but to look out for the next one coming called bloodnose pussy boy yeah. um which I guess turned into the Antwoord, uh, all things considered with hindsight. Hindsight Down. And all of a sudden I had cancelled tours. I had tens of thousands of CDs that hadn't been returned. And I had uh, a very angry distributor who had upfronted 300,000 Rand to make these very expensive books which couldn't sell, demanding their money from me. Eh? And um, I didn't have any for them. So they... Uh, because the whole thing was falling apart now, and I uh, couldn't pay for all the ads that had been taken, and uh, there was so much shit to deal with over this, you can't believe. Eh? And uh, what happened? Bowline decided to take uh, all the revenue from all of our CD sales to offset against the uh, uh, money owed for the manufacture of the constructors' books. Eh? And Fletcher decided to. Disappear into a cat habit, and uh, all the advertising work dried right up very quickly along with that. And all of a sudden, we had no money and six or seven staff. And uh, our contracts were such that we owed money on sales, regardless of whether we saw any. Yeah? So, for six months, I had no revenue but a whole bunch of sales for which I owed money technically to these artists. Yeah? What happened? The artists mutinied. eh? One by one, they came with lawyers' letters and stories, and it became, it's the most miserable period of my life. Never mind the fact that I was dealing with uh, my first child was still born, eh? in the middle of all of this. Um, uh, Yeah, for six months, I had so many artists screaming at me and threatening death threats, and coming into, we then had a baby, successfully coming to my house to supposedly wish um, good wishes on the new baby and shouting and screaming and accusing me of being a thief in front of my wife and baby, that kind of shit. eh? Death threats and threats of robbing our studio and Mark Rosen on my case. And um, and then my financial... um, guy. Eh? I was I was forced. to. turned out my financial guy that I did have, that um, an old mate I miss, he's dead now. Eh? But also Marcus alluded to him earlier on as a cracked up hippie. Our financial dude, Mr. Kelly, who'd been with me from Solid Records, it turned out he hadn't really sorted out any of the books and so on. It was a complete fuck up from start to finish on another level that I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemies. Eh? And uh, I had to start doing the books, and um, a budding artist that I knew, a chap called Jeremy DeTolle, eh? that's uh, from the Dirty Skirts, and today what's it called Original Swing Party, I think he's acting now, eh? yeah. he's actually a financial guru, eh? I hope he doesn't mind me saying that. Eh? He came in to have a look at my books, taught me how to do pastel, then explained to me that um, actually this business is not me and Fletcher and um, it owes Fletcher and I hundreds of thousands of rands more than any of these fucking assholes trying to take us out. eh? And um, I should just Agreed to it because that was the way the way that South African law was if any of them had sued me They would have had had to end up paying for the liquidation and our claims were ten times bigger than theirs yeah? once I started explaining that to the artists that um, Okay, the time for your beef and I mean at, at that time they, they went running to the press I had the press all over me now wanting to know what it uh, why African dope had imploded and why we were stealing from artists yeah? and um, by the time the cookie crumbled, there was, the, by the time the dust had settled on the whole thing, I'd managed to give rights back to some of the artists and send them on their way and force most of the rest of them into an impasse where I can't pay you. And if you sue me, yeah, I'm not claiming, I'm not getting paid either. Yeah? And if you sue the business, yeah, then you're going to have to pay for the whole thing and you're going to end up with no money. And whatever money there is is going to end up getting paid to me because I'm owed a thousand times more than you. And I'm not whining and moaning. I'm trying to fix it. Yeah? So once they got that, they all disappeared, um, almost universally acrimoniously into the scene, and pretty much for a couple of years, destroyed our ability to sign everything. At that point, 2005, Fletcher bailed yeah, with blessing yeah, to um, to uh, he managed to cure himself miraculously. What an amazing dude! But um, He managed to cure himself by willpower, pretty much, of years of addiction. eh? Sort himself out, and he knew what he wanted to do, and he had my blessing. eh? Off he went. Um, Heather was DJing and so on. I'm I'm really not sure how she kept her head together during all of it. I started getting busy with other stuff. eh? I made a business called Sonic Spaza, and another one called Dig It All, and another one called... um, Dope Mobile, and I was trying all kinds of stuff. I had no income, and um, after three or five years or whatever of pouring heart and soul 18 hours a day into this thing, it was broken eh? completely. Um, One or two of these things that I did, one of them in particular called Sonic Spars, I started working. eh? Um, I managed to get some investment from Joburg, which is an online licensing platform, eh? and I managed to employ most of the African Dope team, uh, during this period, 2006 to 2010, 2007 to 2010, yeah, we'd moved offices and there was a new team of people inside the African Dope office, mostly employed doing Sonic Spaza, sonic Spaza stuff, capturing the data of thousands and thousands and thousands of um, and moods and themes and keywords so that we could easily license South African music to films and games and ads where the money was. At this point, I'd already given up uh, on selling stuff. To be honest, I gave up on the idea of selling music as making a living within three weeks. No, a month of dropping acid made me do it. Okay? Even though the first 1500 had sold out in Long Street, such that we panicked and took um, King of the Swingers off the album and replaced it with Animal Chin Remix, which didn't have such a hectic sample infringement because we were worried. Hey? It, it sold so quickly we took it off, killed it. Hey? Um but about a month after that we went to do a gig in PE and I knew for a fact that we hadn't sold any of those fifteen hundred CDs. We hadn't sent any to PE. And when we arrived there to do the gig, there were four hundred people there who knew the album backwards. And um, there'd been two copies. When I when I asked how and why, there'd been two copies uh, uh. bought from Cape Town and they'd been copied on, onto CDRs, which were brand new technology in those days. Eh? And so uh, I gave up on sales then. Our, head, our fans, we called them lovingly, the heads, eh? African dope heads, eh? um, are the kind of dudes that figured out you could pirate music first, and were pirating it. Eh? Those are the <laughs> early adopters, you call them today. Eh? Yeah. Those are the kind of dudes we had. Anyway, when I came back from, um, from uh, uh, my focus was very much on, on, uh, on uh, Sonic Spaza, and Sonic Spaza was paying all African dope's expenses. And all the moaning and whining from the old sets uh, set of art, artists had subsided. Eh? And there was still no gap to fill in where African dope was and still the world at large looking to African dope eh? to deliver the dope stuff from um, for, to deliver, to, to be the filter the taste maker into the electronic music scene. Of course now technology has exploded and all, Ableton's happened and all kinds of people are starting to make music. Eh? And there's a new generation of dudes that have popped up. Eh? And Heather it's nurturing. I'm hearing a couple of good tunes that are coming. I'm kind of keeping an eye of it over my shoulder. And um, uh, Sonic Spars is paying the bills. So this can kind of uh, keep rolling and keep happening. Meanwhile, you can't really kill African dopad, eh? So the digital distribution is still rolling on. We're not selling CDs anymore. But the digital distribution is kind of Dribbling in and all these people from all over the world are still interested in what we're doing and checking our website out we're still getting the odd ad and um, uh, Licensing that kind of thing becomes clear that we're not even if I wanted to kill it and to actually kill African dope and remove it as a business Is something nobody ever not even SARS? I don't think would be stupid enough to do It's so fucked that it's become as a business structure it is so fucked that it's become what it, if it initially set out to be, which is anti-business. Eh? <laughs> we could go into it in more detail, but it's so fucked on every single level from a business perspective that you can't even, four different sets of accountants said to me, just leave it. <laughs> and if they ever come knocking, then, we'll, then they can deal with it. Eh? <laughs> like, uh, chances are they'll just tell you, close it right off yeah? but um, the point is a whole bunch of new artists got attracted to African Dope as being, like the first set um, as being uh, the best possible option for me to make things better, to, to make my career for myself yeah? Yeah. I don't think very little of it other than uh, other than the hype and rah 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 and um, Never actually had to do with African dope. So that's a, that's a thing on the dance floor. It's never really been a thing amongst artists. Most artists, if you have to press them, I personally feel would tell you they resent African dope and they resent what African dope did yeah, for South African music because it took the focus away from the artist. Yeah. Maybe that's way too cynical. I'd love to be proven wrong. But that's at the end of the day if you press them and they were honest about it. Yeah, would they rather be signed to African dope that was cooking were rocking by themselves with no African dope taking some of the glory eh, or the limelight, Uh, they'd be lying if they said uh, (laughs) it wasn't the latter. Anyway, when I came back, uh, at the end of Sonic Spaza, uh, we did a really, really big deal with Nokia Music eh, that ended up paying well over a million rand into the um, South African music scene. And there was a little bit of, of cash available to clean up some of the mess that needed to be cleaned up with the African dope, paid off the royalties for the cool dudes that didn't fucking moan and whine and uh, try and sue us out of existence, and um, uh, try and build a new website, maybe, whatever. Within three months, this new set of artists had blown the whole lot. The whole lot was gone on a new set of artists that between them contributed Not one single tune. In fact, when I turned around, like I'm now starting to take an an interest, the second wave of African dope, as you call it, eh? Yeah. Ten oaks running around. Fifteen oaks running around with African dope behind their name. Being elevated on the list of DJs around town. Eh? All kinds of people, PH Fat, eh, launched themselves with African Dope behind their name. Three years ago, four years ago, when they were launched, or ten years ago, whatever it was, that stage, second phase, you can guarantee that was front of their press release. You know what I'm saying? Eh? Yeah. Got a tune on African Dope, Capable Dope Volume 1, plays under the African Dope name, toured with African Dope to there, there, and then we did all this, also at the assembly and the rest of it. As soon as they pop out the top, off the what you call it, jump, gone, out of the – without willingly being pressed on it, even, even people who contributed so much eh, and clearly do hold it to heart, like mix and blend, eh, unless you say to them deliberately in, with an interview, what about African dope? It's not part of their reality. It's not – you know, and <laughs> maybe fair enough. I say that with no beef. Eh? There's no um, – it's just interesting how um, – how, uh, how much of a mirror reality actually is, yeah? how, un, how little of it is consensual, actually, you know? memory and stuff like that, and what things mean, the relative value that different things have to people. You know? So... um. Very quickly, I came back and went. Okay, all of these dudes, you just—you just put me down for thirty thousand rand expense to ship a whole bunch of you guys, not me, eh, on 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 holiday to Durban or to up the Garden Route to go on tour. Eh, kind of. What's in it for me? Eh? The owner of the label is paying for this. What do I get out of this? Eh, kind of thing. Is there a single tune that I can drop to give my mailing list? Eh? Like something to give away? Is there? Anything is the, am I getting, have you, have you got like a mailing list connection thing so we can collect? Absolutely fuck all. Eh? The whole thing had been set up purely in, intentionally with the intention to add value to the artist, to use the African Dope name to add value to artists. Eh? If you want to, asked me for a catchphrase to sum up the second phrase of African Dope and why it lasted so short and why it disappeared so quickly is because that phase was about eh, 100% purely using the African Dope name, squeezing value out of the African Dope name and following and whatever to give to artists to further themselves. Eh? And it did that magnificently, yeah, kind of thing, <laughs> from what I can see. Yeah. And the end result is what it is. Yeah, that African nobody remembers any of that stuff. Yeah. Ask people about African; Ope, they remember Felix and Warwick and real estate agents, maybe, yeah, kind of thing. Nobody remembers. I doubt anybody could tell you. And it's a shame for a guy like Jam, like Jamjo, Baker, my my good mates, yeah, that worked tirelessly for years for nothing. Yeah. To keep African dope alive, while like the 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 voice of African dope arrives and, and the feeling and the irreverence, and I, I know he takes it to heart. Jam is the is the one artist that it's with a with a, um, disappointment. I know it's with disappointment that he can't continue. They they can't continue pushing themselves through that structure eh? because the the will has gone out of it. Eh? The will and the personnel are gone. But, uh, it's a shame, but hardly anybody knows that stuff. No, they don't know it. Eh? They don't, the last 10, 8, 10 releases we did, the Richard III, the Third, the even Mr. Sakatumi, some of it's really good music. Eh? But um, I, do, I, I don't know if any of it's, African dope, any of it can be defined as African dope like the earlier African dope was, purely because all the earlier African dope had one month, two months, three months of me and Fletcher all over it. Yeah. Eh? It's as much, um, maybe these artists will take offense for me saying it, but when I've spent two months making your little sound sound big, eh, there's a lot of me in that, eh? not just you. Eh? And um, uh, the, the last thing I want is for is is any props or cred or heaven forbid people to start following me and you know wanting to build some kind of story about me. But uh, but the half the reason no maybe not half a goodly fraction of the reason why that African dope music has got that flavour and that feeling and makes people feel the way it is, because is because Fletcher and I made sure it did. We put the the, the missing element, eh? the fifth element in there. The,
0: the umami.
1: The, um. I don't know what you call it, brother, mm. but it's it became very clear to me. I, I got a couple of thousand hours working in studio. It's not that much, but enough to kind of make an, make an opinion. And it always struck me that you can have the best recording, the, 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 the worst recording of, of, a, of a genuine performance. If the performance is done genuinely, yeah, The recording can be as bad as you like, eh? really terrible, and you can still feel what that person was trying to express. Whether it's rage or love or whatever, whatever the whatever the emotion is, eh? if it's expressed genuinely and purely, you can feel that regardless of how bad the recording is. Whereas if something is expressed in a contrived way, in a controlled way, in a um, in a inhibited way. Um, you feel that instantly, and you can tweak it and produce the fuck out of it, and auto tune it, and do what you want to it as much as you like. You're never bringing that feeling into it. Eh? The feeling of what gets expressed musically stores inherently, metaphysically, along with the physical notes and ones. It's it's one of the great mysteries of of sound and and. Uh, And recording, I can't really get my head around it, but I love it. Mm -hmm. Like the fact fact that that does, that's something metaphysical and intangible, the the intention and store along with the tune. So that's what what was there. And um, the artists, once we taught them to mix and master properly, probably refused flat out. I think it was quite traumatic for them to, (laughs) to have their tunes mixed and mastered. Another funny story for you quickly, when we were doing the Real Estate Agents album um, at this amazing studio in the wilderness, we took them to paid to uh, down audio 3D surround speakers. So we started working on Cybot's album first, going through layer by layer, track by track, going in, treating the compression, treating the reverb, treating the sound and making it as huge as possible, making it say what it what it's meant to say and having a lot of fun doing it. eh? Next song, next song, next song. And these tunes, which were always good and quirky, eh? started becoming monsters. eh? One by one, they started becoming monsters. And I could see Marcus going green at the thought. He was totally not enjoying this process of his tunes being opened up and all his mistakes at the end of the day being dealt with. You didn't tune your kick, jump, and the bass properly. That's why there's that really horrible distortion in the middle there. Let's just go in there and remove that frequency. Ah, that sounds better. It's now going instead of (laughs) Try and write that down. I dare you. Um, uh, He took one look at this and he went running off for that. And he locked himself in his room there for a couple of hours. And when he came out, he had mixed down all of his songs and deleted the separates. So we had to basically master it, so that we couldn't go in and mix and master his album. We could only master it, eh? which means that listen to that estate really albums and you'll notice that the Marcus Wormstorm album is about half the size eh? in every um, in every uh, uh, with every um, I don't know performance index you could care to use. It's about half the size of um, of Cybot's album. Also, in the in the In the working of that, I had to spend a lot of time trawling a lot of nasty frequencies to pull them out, to try and make it sound like on the same level so that you don't put the one on and then the other and the other is embarrassing. Yeah, like... um. To try and get it to that level, that was a week of my life, and during which I seemed to have messed up my ears. I started getting anything I did in the studio, I'd get this gunk coming from behind my ears. It was six months of acupuncture to get rid of it, and after that I was like, no thanks to the studio. After that, they ended my studio career. So bottom line is, I guess at the end of the second wave of dope, Daddy Roach came back and said, What's in what's in any of this for me? What's in any of this for African dope? Eh? And got met with blank looks all round, eh? like sort of. But you know, the same thing as film directors who want uh, a piece of music for free. Well, it's good promotion, they say eh? every time. And you say to them, "Have you heard of silent movies?" Eh? <laughs> so once that became clear, it fizzled out and disappeared like you wouldn't believe. It fizzled out and disappeared quicker than you could say. I don't know. Give me something back in return. eh? It went. boom, And that kind of tells a story in itself. Do I have any regrets about it? No, absolutely not. eh? I moved sideways into developing technology. And African dope over time is starting to become what what it's supposed to be. What it was, what it was built to be, and what it's supposed to be, it's not. Never meant to be a business. It's never meant to be a developing hub for egos slash artists. Eh? Mm-hmm. This is meant to be a, a wake-up call, in a way, just a little nudge in the ribs. Eh? Definitely in the ribs. A nudge in the ribs to say, oi, eh? there's more to life than just money. New musicians. There's more to life than just careers. Eh? And uh, reality is something kind of. Kind of tweakable. Yeah? And I, th- I think the fact that there's, uh, in, in the last two years, you've had two big, biggish kind of stories yeah, about us. And I think you're the fourth or fifth that's wanted input from African Dope now onto what's going on in the scene. We haven't done anything for a long time. Yeah? I think the, the influence and the importance kind of speaks to itself, speaks for itself. Yeah? Not that I'd ever do it again. I've no yeah. interest in doing it again. But I'm kind of proud that um, that we have managed to make, a, that we did kind of manage to increase the quality, increase our understanding in this little neck of the woods about what we are capable of doing eh, without any other agenda than that, really. Eh, eh? You can make some fucking dope stuff here if you want to. Eh? Make it. Eh? That was really what it was about. And if some of that's, that's kind of what endures and keeps us in the mind, the quality. Eh? I learned it early on. If you've got something, quality talks louder than anything. It's the only thing that's actually of any value to people, ultimately, whatever they perceive it to be. And if you're sitting with something of genuine quality in your hands, you don't have to talk. You don't have to sell. You don't have to hunt. You just have to say, Yeah use experience enjoy eh? and they do yeah. and um that's what i aim for now i aim for trying to do things that are quality generally and then the rest becomes a lot easier and you've got a lot more free time what else do you want to know
0: right? what haven't i answered all eh? uh, right i think that uh that was amazing um I you think we've, we've 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 sufficiently ten, nailed. Uh, yeah. I, th- I think it's. I think this is on <laughs> this is about, about 10, hours ten hours of 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 conversation. Of
1: conversation. <laughs> <Shit>. <laughs> but Sorry, it's... but I don't know how you chop it down. And...
0: Well, no, no, I'm talking I'm about in total. In total. Um, and, um, and yeah, I mean, I'll, uh, I'll yeah. send it to you. I, I might. Up, I, right? is parts I might not even chop down. I mean, this is you've basically told the the ins and outs. Um, it's been incredible to hear, from someone who was mildly on one side of it that you know i went on that dope tour and i was oblivious to everything i mean i wasn't i wasn't the main main attraction in any way or or a feature but i, I strung along and spent your cash and now i kind of know one side but always on the other side of um you know looking up to it and and, and hearing it in Joburg because was friends with cybot up here and you know his brother we went to school together and we'd listen to the stuff and it really inspired us it gave us you know, opportunity to break the mold and uh, and showcase our own individuality, and I think that's what it'll be remembered as. And I think maybe the the chaos and the destruction and the implosion internally is always, you know, you only can see so far ahead of you, um, or you can only see directly in front of you, but you know, the impact it's having beyond your line of sight um it's testament to i suppose your vision and 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 the attitude and dedication and love for for something that is you know unique and will probably be remembered for for a long time and have impact down down the line you know there's still nothing that exists to this day that spoke to me i know in from a music point of view and with such you know raw character and inspired such belief and that's <clears throat> and i just think that um yeah, thank you.
1: Why aren't there more, would be my question. Where are the, where are the, I don't know, me, I'm trying to, um, I'm trying to do things that benefit all of us now, except the few. I realized that my, 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 my road, yeah, like um, with, with music, music's one of the best way of touching people, but a record label is not the way to touch is not the way to to come with thoughts that make the world better. eh? And are the other the other ways of doing it. I'm I'm exploring theirs now. But what I'm wondering is where are the where are the individuals? eh? Where are the people making not worried about South African identity or identity as a white guy, identity as a black guy, identity as a house guy, identity as a brand, identity as a Where are they? Where are the where are the the real? musical voices, eh, giving us things that make us feel like we can, eh, like we can properly eh, be individuals and do unique things and express the edge of it, not what we're going to get paid to express. Where are they? I want to know. Eh? I'd love to see you.
0: Eh? Yeah, kind of just in, in turn to favor you, um, I'd like to hand over the mic to you to say what you need to say um, to anyone who might be listening out there, whether. Directly or indirectly involved um, in the project, just to kind of summarize this whole thing. So, the, the mic is yours.
1: Thank you, man, and thank you for your um, uh, extreme patience with me over <laughs> a process of months <laughs> to try and get the story down. Um, no, it's I hope been a it's pleasure. Worth it in the end, your, your uh, perseverance has been um, admirable and a credit to your trade. <laughs> thank so you. Um, thank you to you. I think that's that. That's mostly what needs to be said. Hey, the story is there. I think um, I don't believe anything, and I don't think anything should believe uh, anybody should believe anything that I say. Um, it's at best one side of the story. It's all I'm really able to give. Um, I would like to say. I, I, I guess at times I got quite heated during that chat and um, quite emotional, but. Um, Time is a great healer and um, I'd like to think that um, well I know that um, many of the artists, most of the artists that I worked with back in the day and most of the people that they had issues with that stuff's long since Water Under the Bridge and we made snow and I would hate this. Um, these recollections, uh, maybe skewed recollections to, to damage any of that or to make anybody feel upset and so on. I've got no beef about what happened uh, it's made me who I am and and I hope that the net result is of benefit to everyone. I think the, the, the last thing that I didn't say, which is maybe the most important, is um, um, how grateful I am to, to so many people for making this happen, you know? Um, Fletcher and Heather and Inca, my partners in it, um, Baker, um, all the artists who entrusted their creativity to us for better, better or worse. Everyone who supported us, everyone who spent money on our stuff, everybody who got it, and everyone out there who's an individual you know, and um,
0: doesn't buy into the bullshit, I say, max respect to you, and uh, keep on keeping on. You know? well, I don't know. Yeah, fantastic, <laughs> Is there Raj. Is anything
1: else to be said?
0: Um, yeah, I mean, I don't think so. I think that that was kind of a be- beautiful... Summary or synopsis of, you know, from start to finish and, and how everything kind of goes back to a point of neutral. Um, it's, very, it's been a very interesting journey and thank you very much for your time. That's
1: my pleasure. Thank you, brother. Thank you.